Welcome to Stupsin. Stupsin is a series of Dharma talks by Anthony Osler, Dai Chong Osho, the guiding teacher at Poplar Grove Zendo in South Africa, and a former Zen monk. The talks draw from traditional Zen teachings and koans to make them relevant wherever we live and whatever life we lead. If you feel inspired by these teachings and would like to make an offering to support Stupsin, you can go to our website, stupsin.co.za, to find out how. As I was saying, in this uh, unpredictable life that we find ourselves in the midst of, um, we never quite know what's going to happen. And uh, this morning uh, was no exception. So we um, had our electrical system hit by a, a storm recently. So we've got very limited electricity and the clouds came up this morning and we've turned off all fridges and lights and the only thing that's going at the moment is this laptop and um, so we are coming to you live on on one leg <laughs> and um, and feeling quite pleased with ourselves we've also um, got only half a tank of water left and we've got no electricity to put a pump on and there's no wind so there's no bathing or showering and there's only long drops available which is is quite interesting and then uh, our soccer team drew yesterday colesburg city drew its game so they're clearly on the up and um uh, it's all those shin guards that our sangha donated that clearly made the difference. Uh, and the referee's whistle that were donated so they could blow on our behalf. <laughs> and last night uh, we, we found that a small uh, animal, it's called a misalyakat out here, I think it's a smaller spotted genet uh, drowned in the farm reservoir, um, where retreatants like to swim, those cold water retreatants who we have here. Um, those are not the government ministers who are exempt from load shedding. Um, but as I say, we were, we were getting some sense of the, of the difficulties that people uh, have in cities in South Africa where, where they depend on power and where it's uh, not readily available. So we just want to say that we, we, we also feel a little vulnerable today and, uh, and have great appreciation for the difficulties that you have and the courage that you have to, to look this life in the eye. Which brings me really to what I'm uh, saying today and I'd like to um, introduce it by telling you about a Sangha member of ours who died uh, this week. Um, I think the previous Zoom we had a, a birth in the Sangha and uh, 
now we have uh, someone who died. Her, her name was Sister Marco. She was a Catholic nun from Marion Hill Monastery. And she used to come to the retreats that Margie and I did at the Buddhist retreat uh, in KwaZulu-Natal and um, was always terribly enthusiastic. And she came here uh, one day. Um, she's also, I think, in her mid or late uh, 70s. And um, she came to Poplar Grove where she took precepts, uh, made the kind of commitment to this path that uh, that is a kind of joining of the family if you like and her, her name was Seijun which means as pure and as holy as a child and she had that quality of disarming naivety and enthusiasm in absolutely everything that that she did. Uh, at that time, she was unable to join the morning walks. Uh, she would sit on the stoop, and as I would uh, leave the house to go and uh, join the sitting group, she would always stand up and, and bow to me, and I would stop and turn to her and bow. And uh, this was a kind of a joke between us, that whenever we saw each other, we, we liked to, to bow. Uh, and uh, she, she once uh, went to Margie and said, I've got it, I've got it, this Zen is, it's, it's easy. I don't know why you spent all these years on this Zen. She said, a tree is just a tree. Tree is just a tree. What's so difficult? That was her style. She had this wonderful, this wonderful way. And then another time she said, ah, tree, I am the tree. I am the tree, she said. And now she's gone. And maybe she is the tree. And maybe she's the the air that we are breathing this morning. And uh, uh, we're just so grateful for that kind of interaction that we've been able to have with uh, someone like that. She also didn't like me to sort of make any comparative religion statements or say well you Christians would call it this or all religions are the same or whatever people like to say in that sort of situation make it more palatable she wanted a Zen straight she didn't want any of this uh, Christian stuff thrown in <laughs> she was wonderful wonderful So that's what we call sangha, meaning this a friendship of, of meeting in the Dharma. And it's a particular kind of friendship. We don't know um, where anybody lives or goes to school or uh, what their bank balance is, what cars they drive. We just... Uh, find each other in a certain kind of stillness and 
and a certain kind of committedness to to the question of what is my life? What is this? This thing that I'm in the midst of as a as a involuntary participant, so it feels. And sometimes it feels exciting, sometimes not. Sometimes it feels meaningful, sometimes not. And w w we come together in a natural questioning of wh what is all this? What is all this? And th the chant that we opened this talk with, which is called the chant of the three refuges, uh, in a sense embodies that questioning. Uh, I take refuge in the Buddha, I take refuge in the Dharma, I take refuge in the Sangha. It, it is so many layers uh, that, that chant. And I'd like to just perhaps flesh it out a little bit today. And uh, I'll have Sister Marco sitting on my shoulder saying, uh, keep it straight, keep it simple. Okay. So in part, we, we come into a, a practice of Zen. Some of us come from different traditions, some of us from inside of here. And, and we, we met with certain, what we call Zen practices. We chant in a certain way, we bow, we follow certain uh, schedules. Um, and in that, we, we chant, amongst other chants, the three refuges. And in a way, it's just an expression of um, our gratitude for the tradition, if you like. Those of us that have been doing it for a long time have quite a fond uh, a fondness for, for this tradition and a deep appreciation of the fact that it is continues to comfort us and challenge us. So there is that, just a very simple acknowledgement, respect and gratitude that we chant with. But of course, it's also part of Zen practice that we don't have to have some kind of emotional loading on whatever we're doing. We don't have to say, I'll chant it if I can feel... Uh, emotionally uh, grateful or something like that. It doesn't depend on on having sort of juice in it. So often we just chant it. We just chant it. We don't have to have a particular state of mind when we chant it. Namo Kyebutsu uh, we just chant. We chant with our whole body, our breath, our heart, our mind. Just everything in this whole world is just Namo Kia Butsu. 
That's the Japanese version. <laughs> comes from my <laughs> my training. And and when we get the sense sometimes that the selflessness of just giving ourselves into this moment of our life, whatever activity it entails, is full from edge to edge, from top to bottom. And, and, and that's enough. That's enough. It's also true that as human beings in our particular circumstances, we try to make sense of things and we um, try to put words to the chants and the teachings and so on that are perhaps more meaningful to us. Um, I think in particular uh, of the fact that we live in quite a secular and questioning uh, society. Um, that chant, the chant of the three refuges um, in Korea or Japan, for instance, or Thailand, uh, carries with it a whole lifetime of, of uh, devotion, strongly devotional um, element to the, the chant. And it's, it's deeply touching to see... Uh, people in monasteries in, for instance, South Korea, um, people coming to the monasteries and just in complete simplicity and unsophisticated uh, giving of themselves to uh, the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha, to this tradition um, it, that in itself is a hundred percent action. That in itself is giving yourself away completely. And th that's enough again. My kind of background is always looking to perhaps put this kind of activity in a, a context and to perhaps use words for it that are more meaningful. And I'm going to just explore that briefly because that's one of the things we're doing at Poplar Grove. That's one of the things we do when we give Dharma talks and write books. So... If we look at the figure of the Buddha, that's, that's the first of the chants. I take refuge in the Buddha. Actually, before we do that, let's just look at taking refuge altogether. What does it mean when we say, I take refuge? Beyond the just pure chanting of it. And it seems important to say that it's not finding a hiding place from the world. 
it's not um, a defensive wall that one's put, one puts out around oneself to make things feel less threatening. As understandable, as, of course, as that is, but that's not the primary, primary direction of, of that chant. Refuge, taking refuge, feels to me more like uh, finding my home and finding some kind of uh, safety, the feeling of being safe. Clearly not a safety of circumstance, but something deeper than that where we're not trying to arrange the furniture so that, so that things will be uh, more pleasant or less threatening, but a sense of being safe in ourselves, the, the sense of of living our life from the inside with some kind of equanimity, which is the quote that accompanies the invitation to this Zoom. And safety seems to be deeply uh, synonymous with our connectedness to the world. That we are, as some uh, popular psychologists and philosophers are saying, that we are hardwired for connection. And that when we pull away from this world and, and are more isolated from it, we experience our life as traumatic and stressful. This is a traditional uh, Buddhist teaching. Uh, and I find it so interesting that, that other voices are now beginning to, to, to echo this. Not because it proves that what Zen is saying is correct. Not at all. But there's some resonance, I think, in the words. And the sense that in taking refuge, it's a basic um, attitude in my life. And when I try and put words to it, it feels to me as if I'm, I'm heading for some deep inner equilibrium that is simultaneously my own uh, liberation, if you like, uh, a sense of ease and equanimity, and is at the same time a sense of, of connectedness with the world, that I'm no longer lonely. I'm no longer lonely. It's, it's me and the screen. It's me and the, in the pictures of, 
people uh, on top of the screen, my, my wife beside me, some friends on retreat who are sitting in front of me um, in this rather absurd situation of me talking into a screen and them watching me. Um, it really is wonderfully absurd. Um, and I think on that score, if I didn't have this kind of practice, I would find it difficult to keep my sense of humor. But that's, that's another matter. Okay, so when we take refuge, it's a sense of finding what feels to us instinctively and intuitively as uh, home. Ha, that stuff, you know. Not even home, just <sighs> Okay, as we say in South Africa, lekker. Okay. So, so then we come to the actual chants themselves. I take refuge in the Buddha. And again, we've seen that sometimes it's a gesture of respect. For some people, there's a strong devotional element. Other people just do it because that's what the Zen teachers tell them to do. But I think for me, at least at the moment, taking refuge in the Buddha, I see the Buddha as, as a figure that is maybe archetypal or mythical in, in, in stature uh, for me. And it represents the willingness to, to be touched by whatever happens in this life a kind of an openness to this life in all its difficulty and ease and laughter and tears and struggle and relief. Everything. That there's a willingness to be touched by that, but to have that seat that is so firm and connected that there's a, an, an openness to the world with the natural kind of connectedness, intimacy, compassion, uh, joy and the joy of others, and the kind of firmness of seat that, that is able to do that. It feels to me... Uh, as the kind of direction of my life. So if I take refuge in the Buddha, in a sense, that's what I have. I have a sense of how can I be so in tune with this life that I allow it in and reflect it out. That's the sense I have when we chant, I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma, which is traditionally the teachings. Uh, so I ask myself, what are the teachings? So for me, that is the teaching. The teaching that this is an opportunity for me 
to make my life meaningful in a profound way. Not by manipulating life or controlling it or trying futilely to do so or being beaten down by it and losing all enthusiasm. It's the sense that at the heart of everything is this intimacy, is this connectedness, is this, this belonging. And that's, that's what the Dharma is pointing at. And for me it's deeply encouraging in, in my practice uh, because however many talks I give, I of course remain a, a student um, and th that's encouraging. I find that encouraging. And then I take refuge in the Sangha. What does that mean? Does it mean the, the club of sort of uh, Zen, uh, yeah, Zen, the Zen brigade, you know? D does it mean that? And uh, to use Sister Marco's phrase, God forbid. Um, I can't think of anything worse than mixing with Zen students all my life. Well, they probably think the same of me. Um, but I think one of the, the wonderful opportunities we have, wh wherever we live, is that we are mixing with people uh, who appear to be different us, to us in so many ways. And to find the, the connection in that to find the, the, uh, the, the friendship. It's a practice of friendship, ultimately. And it's not about selecting people who you like or approve of. So w one of my uh, favorite koans, uh, when we look at the question of friendship or sangha, uh, is... Um, uh, well, it depends who I'm talking to, but Mr. Trump is coming to tea, or President Putin is coming to tea, or Mr. Zuma is coming to tea, or um, your mother-in-law, your neighbor, or whatever it is, the Minister of Public Works is coming to tea. And people often say, oh, no, no, well, I'm, I like everybody, but that's, that's too much. But how do you deal with the Minister of Public Works, who's in charge of electricity supply, and uh, you think he's doing a bad job. Uh, I should make a disclaimer here before the police are listening that I don't know who the Minister of Public Works is, um, but I wish him well. So, Sangha means that whoever's in front of you, okay, Minister of Electricity, let's say, uh, Whoever's in front of you, how do you, how, how will you f connect with them? And my sense of this practice is that when you're free to do that, then you can say, listen, what you're doing is, is nonsense. Or if you need to take out your gun and shoot them. If you're willing to take the consequences, uh, it's where it comes from. Uh, I'm playing a bit with, with, with this, of course, but um, 
Sangha is friendship. So for me, the, the three refuges sums up a practice of, of deep connectedness where everything and every person uh, is part of your life. And to live with that as, as your home. And then, of course, being good Zen students, we have to take all these words, and as uh, one of our eminent preceptees says, we've got to demolish it. The demolition gang, they call themselves. And um, so on, on retreat, we need to look at the, re at the three refuges as koan. So all these fine words about interconnectedness and friendliness and the Minister of Public Works, how do you, how do you show me that you are friendly? How do you show me that uh, you are connected? You say this practice is about being intimate or connected or friendly or having a firm seat. How do you take those words and phrases and make them real in your life? Because that's our practice. These teachings are wonderful, but they're always subject to being blown up and exploded in the cause of making them real in your life. That's what we call this practice here, embodiment practice. And we start with our body. We start with our body right here. So what does uh, connectedness and Buddha and Dharma and Sangha mean right now in your life? Let's not make it theoretical. Connectedness, what is it in this moment? You sitting in your chair at your house. The smell of coffee in your kitchen. Sound of traffic outside. This uh, rather grey and bespectacled face in front of you. This voice. This uh, rumbling of your stomach. It really doesn't matter what it is, but when the rumbling of your stomach is the attainment of taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma and Sangha, then your life is uncomplicatedly full. And there's no need to think about it. There's no need to even come on retreats to find that out. But come on retreat. We'll play with this. We'll see uh, how much we fool ourselves uh, and how wonderful it is to do this kind of thing together. To give up a Sunday morning uh, with the garden club in order to attend a Zoom and sit listening to this talk. Uh, I'm very grateful that you're there to talk to. <laughs> to me, that's the height of friendship, especially when some of you are so far away. 
It's just a, a beautifully absurd feature of our life as we try and make uh, meaning of it. And the meaning of it in this tradition is put down all the words, clear the tempo. It's nice to see you on the screen. And thank you so much.